As you can imagine, crime scenes can be a pretty gruesome sight to see. After an incident is reported to law enforcement, authorities will arrive and block off the gory scene with yellow tape. But after investigators dust for prints, collect evidence, and take photographs, what happens to the mess that's left behind? Well, that's where the soul mediators come in. I'm Emily Campagno, and this is the Fox True Crime Podcast. Neither Tom DeSena nor Junior Lalbashan had originally intended to pursue a career in cleaning up crime scenes. However, with open minds and an eagerness to work, Tom and Junior individually stumbled into their roles. Whether it's bloodied basements, biohazardous hoardings, or decomposing bodies, these Florida-based cleaners have just about seen it all. Tom and Junior have traveled across the country, encountering some of the most shocking crime scenes you can imagine. But no matter the cause of death, nor the state of the mess, the pair won't say no to a challenge. For them, it's more than just a cleanup job. It's a way to provide families and loved ones a way to move forward from an unspeakable tragedy. Dubbed the sole mediators, Tom and Junior document some of their daunting jobs on TikTok giving viewers a glimpse into their unparalleled line of work. Today, they join me to provide a look at what kind of work goes into their intensive cleaning jobs. Tom and Junior, I am so excited to have you guys here with the excitement of sort of a morbid curiosity, of course, and a practical, healthy dose of curiosity because we all cut ourselves all the time in the kitchen and then it looks like a homicide. So... You guys are the crime scene cleaners. What an incredible skill set to have that you guys sort of fell into it. You have amassed an incredible following on TikTok. Tons of articles written about you guys. You're essentially a viral sensation um, and a necessary one. So let's start with you guys, if you can, share how you fell into or how you got into being crime scene cleaners. All right. Well, uh, I'll start. Uh, again, I'm Tom. Sorry for, we got these flies flying in. We're in Florida right now. We have our garage open. It's 90 degrees, but these bugs are flying. So I know oh. the lizard's coming in here, but we do live together. Um, I, I'm 23 years old. Um, I'm from Long Island, New York. And uh, that's where I went to school. I, I went to college. I have my bachelor's degree in criminal justice. Um, I went to school up in Long Island. And uh, I graduated during COVID, you know, like you know, the first year, 2020. And I was just applying to jobs. Um, wasn't necessarily in need of a job at the time. I was working, you know, in, in clubs and, you know, doing those types of jobs during school, car dealership. But I wanted a job out of college, you know, in my field, something related. And I, I wasn't particularly into, like, gore and this gruesome stuff. It wasn't yeah. my thing. I wasn't turned away from it, but definitely didn't anticipate doing it. But while I was just applying to jobs, you know, all these places were telling me I needed more schooling for entry-level jobs, you know, a master's or police experience for a lot of the things in the field. And I just felt like I definitely qualified, even though I didn't have that or whatever. I knew, like me as a person, I could do it. This company was the only company that actually got back to me, believe it or not. And, um, you know, maybe I was looking in the wrong direction for jobs, or maybe I just wasn't applying to the right ones, whatever the case may be. 
nonetheless, they got back to me almost immediately after applying. And I was like, all right, you know, I, I respect that. You know, it's, it's big to, you know, at least enjoy where, you know, you work. So I was like, you know what, that's, they gave me a call back. So I went from there and here we are <laughs> and I, I enjoy it. I, I don't have any regrets with the job. I really think I, you know, we do a great job and here we are. You want to go? Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I'm 20, 27 years now. Today's my birthday, actually. Today's his birthday. So, oh, happy birthday. Thank you. So I was, uh, I moved on to Long Island, and at that moment, I was looking for a job. And, uh, I was working on a pharmaceutical. When I moved on to Long Island, I was doing um, auto body work. So a family friend recommended me to the job, and I found it on Indeed, followed the application, and that was it. Ever since then, been with them for eight years now. So walk me through the onboarding process. Is there a training that the company provides for you guys? Or is it like show up day one and you're going to learn on the job day by day? Well, the training is, of course, you know, learning about the job, preparing yourself mentally. And because it is really a, a mental job, you know, like nonetheless, physically, of course, it's hard. But the training was going and watching other crews do jobs. Obviously not the first time we didn't really get into it. But like for me, for example, my first job, I watched the crew do the work, kind of. I was in suit, in mask, and I was there, but I kind of watched how they went about it. I went about everything, and probably the same thing for yeah, you as well. Same thing. But that's kind of what it was. It was a couple times of watching, a lot of reading and stuff, and, and you know. But for our company, it was relatively quick. We we got once I got hired, I the, the same week I was able to go on a, on an on the job scenario. I mean. We do work 24-7, technically. We are emergency response. So right now, if I get a text, hey, something just came in and it's relatively local, we head out. You know, we're ready to go. If it's scheduled in advance, like we have something tomorrow we know of, it's a little bit random. But nonetheless, we, we are always ready for work. So work is always there, unfortunately, yep. with this job. That is true. I was an EMT um, I uh, many years ago, and my first ride-along uh, – for the small fire department, we had two dead bodies. Oh, yeah. And they were like, we got like one dead body every six months. We have two in the same day. This first day that you're here, they start calling me the angel of death. So ironically, <laughs> sort of, exactly, like sort of as an intern, I was exposed immediately to a lot more gruesome scenarios than I sort of had on a daily basis following that. So let's share about either your first day when you guys were cleaning or your first day as a ride-along. Um, can you describe those particular scenes that you guys had to clean yeah, up? Do you remember the first job? Yeah, well, the, the first job that I did, it was uh, right up in New York. It was an unattended death. So it was me and my supervisor. So when I, I was in the van with him, and he was telling me exactly what to talk because he wanted me to speak with the customers first. So I was like, walk me through it. So that way I can know exactly. Took me like a good 20 minutes. When I went there, like when we put up to the job site, I was nervous. And I was nervous, but it wasn't a bad job. But the thing that got to me, it was like, I see a lot of tooth everywhere on the windowsill. I was like, like, you know, from group, like they're pulling it right out from the tooth. Probably a crazy job. I never saw that before. It was probably a crazy job, you know, like it was some, he said right. pretty much yeah. everywhere. So, but you said an unattended death. Like, what do you mean? Did, and I'm teeth on the window. I'm picturing he exploded. Well, let me. I'll explain because I knew what yeah, you said. It unattended death is basically like when someone is in an apartment and no one knows was how, how long they've been there, or no one check up on them. Basically, so the gases of the body made it explode. No, the, what they did, I guess, when they was alive, they pull it out by the salt and lay it on the windowsill. People do things. Yeah, you know, we we delve into people's lives. I mean, that obviously. 
let's go to, to the point of unattended death. We'll stick on that. A lot of people ask us that question. It's basically just when someone's passed away for X mm-hmm. amount of time. For example, one situation, uh, an, old, an elderly man, you know, gets into a fight with his family on New Year's, right? So all of a sudden they go home and that elderly man has a heart attack, right? No one's checking in on him for a week because, you know, they got into a little argument. But then after a couple days go by, there's, you know, let's say he doesn't have a wife, maybe made not many friends because people do. Then all of a sudden when the, the kids say, let me call dad in a week or two later after it's happened, that's what we mean unattended. So like when we get told it, it's not necessarily a suicide or like a crime scene because it was just left unattended. The police come and rule that out, of course. Right. Um, but that's what we refer to. So when I explain to people, I'm just like. Someone passed away for X amount of time, basically. One of the worst stories I heard about that or of an unattended death was it um, someone in the military who had set up his rent to be and all his bills automatic payment. And his mother, single mother, thought that he was deployed. So the body was unattended for months. It was a horrible story. Um, I'm sure you guys have encountered, you know, worse. So, all right. So, Junior, that was your day. So, Tom, or first say, Tom, what was your first day? Um, I was with, you know, my supervisor at the time and, and another worker. And I believe, I mean, I remember the like the visual situation, but I believe the story was there was a worker at someone's home. So they had like a basement. This was up in New York. So there was a basement under construction. I guess they were maybe like a plumber or something. He was working on the, the toilet building, the actual bathroom, you know, still all the beams and stuff. So it was an exposed basement still being built, but I guess the plumber was there to put stuff in. Long story short, the family left, so the plumber was actually in the house by himself, in the basement, working. Something must have happened where I guess he may have passed out, had a heart attack, something, but he had actually lost consciousness and cut himself with his saw and killed himself with an electric saw. Uh, and that was the job. And, and you know, I you don't really know what happened because he was by himself and, and then all of a sudden the family comes home to see what's going on and they found that, you know. I believe that was like a similar, you know, that was like a roundabout description of the story. But that was my first time. And, you know, when I walk, I remember walking down the stairs in the backyard and I'm like, you know, what am I going to see? And I looked in there and it was all on concrete. So it wasn't like it was in someone's bedroom or something for a first time. It was in an open area. But still, seeing the, you know, the blood in the bio, I was like, okay, that's what this job is. You know, like, I get it now. But it didn't phase me. I just said, okay, now I understand. This is what we're doing. I think what never ceases to amaze me personally is the the reach of spray and the volume of liquids that are is in a human body oh, yeah. that seems to quite easily explode everywhere. So I can't imagine from the force of the saw, the spray of the blood. Yeah. And again, you know, you cut yourself in the kitchen, but it, it, the it's all over the dish towel. It, yeah, it looks like a court, but it's like two drops. So talk to me about volume then and talk to me about maybe a couple anecdotes of the most far reaching or the most voluminous things that well, you've those seen would be in, weapons. in your life. I mean, which you can, you can talk about like, you know, weapons when people commit suicide, but in regards to volume, something we've noticed, an interesting fact up north where it's a little colder, um, the blood dries a little more, uh, like, you know, it's weird. It's like down south, depending on how long the situation was and depending on how the house is built, 
it can be off by a couple degrees in a certain area, and that's how you'll know when there's liquid and it spreads around. Now, if we're talking about a flat built, flat house, like in Florida, on concrete or something, most of the time it's flat. So it could not spread. But if it's a, you know, a specific room or area in the house where it's down, that's when it usually goes, which in some of our jobs, like we had a bathroom job, and it covered the whole bathroom. It, it must just be something in the structure. You know, it, it must. But yeah, it got it, it basically is like all the angle of the house, the construction, how they build the angle. Sometimes it's not too level on the property. So it's, that's like when there's the bad part yeah. of it because then body fluids start running every single corner. Yeah. And once it's mm-hmm. like that, we got to basically break apart everything and follow the body fluid. Yeah. So if it goes from 10-story high, we got to go 10-story high down with it to find it. We're going to take a quick break. More from our guest after this. Has there ever been a something that you, you couldn't clean? It literally had to. I mean, we all see the here's the cut square of carpet, right? And that's sort of rudimentary, yeah. uh, I, I would think, um, and represented a lot in movies. But have you guys ever encountered something where you, you literally were like, you have to replace this. This is absolutely not cleanable. Wood. There's nothing we can yeah. do. Wood. Like, like, in, like oh, wood. before, okay. like, there's something that we've noticed up north, and it, it, I kind of didn't really explain it too well. But up north, we've noticed a lot of the houses are built with wood. Again, I'm not like an architectural designer. I've just noticed yeah. the job. A lot of the subfloor, whether it's con- whether it's carpet or tile or wood, pergo, whatever the main floor is, usually it's built on wood floor more up north. Now that we're down south, Florida, which is a sand state, you know, all the foundations are built with concrete, or most at least, most homes that we've seen. So that has a lot to do with it too. When it goes into a carpet, it, it soaks through. So if you have a wood foundation, you can't clean wood if it's soaked into wood. That has to be removed. Concrete, it doesn't go into the concrete. It might just have to shave the concrete layers off, treat it, paint it, because it's concrete. But wood soaks like a carpet. So if you're going to remove a carpet, and if it was heavy on that carpet, you have to remove the wood yeah, as well. And plus, if it's in the wood too, like and you leave it there, it soaks into the wood, and that, it leaves a smell there. So until you don't take everything out from it, yeah, you can't get the smell out. So you know the wood plywood is the toughest part. Yeah, you know it, plywood, yeah. which is the sub, which is like the subfloor of homes built with wood. Yeah, yes, right. And- so you've mentioned the smell. Um, are the smells at times cloying, and do they travel with you? You know, my my, I pick up. I I can I can go to a, a deli for one minute. You guys, know, you know, here, and, and you, I come out and I can smell it on my hair. I got Does a lot of hair. stay with you? So I, yeah, same. So how have you experienced that? I'll tell you what. In the homes, a lot of the time the problem is lingering smells come from exposure. So these bio smells and dirt smells like hoarding or garbage, whatever, food, they linger on fabric, especially right. the blood. So if there's an unattended death, right, for two weeks, and let's say it happened in the hallway, now all the bedroom doors are open, all the closets are open, the living room. Even though we can come clean all the bio, remove the floor, the walls, clean everything, run machines, that closet with all the clothes that's open that has been sitting there for two weeks, those clothes stink. That, so when we leave in a couple of days, a couple of weeks, there may, I don't know because we don't go back, but there may be a smell. So you got to wash the clothes. You got to wash the, the fabrics, you know, the, the carpets, that stuff you got to clean, even if it's not infected. You know, we come and treat the biohazard, make sure that it's, you can go back in. But those smells, you know, unless we're told to do all that, 
you got to clean everything. Yeah. All stuff. But you, you guys, I mean, do you, when you leave, are you like, yeah. oh, my hair smells like that? Yeah. Like yeah, it's yeah. all, it's in your fabric. Yeah. Sometimes with certain yeah. jobs, you get the smell from the biohazard. Yeah. Sometimes it gets on your skin, your clothes and stuff. But before we get home or get into the van, we change everything off. Yeah. We change a lot of clothes. Like once we go in, we change suit every minute. Like, so we go into the scene and we come back out, we take out the suit and put on a new one. Yep. Every time we come out and like, the worst thing, truthfully, at least for me, the worst sense that like stick is not actually the biohazard. It's like when we do cat jobs, like seriously. Yeah. So we, you know, with hoardings and hoarders, you know, a lot of people have cats, anyone, but cats are, an, an, I guess, an easygoing pet. And sometimes with hoardings that are naturally dirty, there's not two cats or five cats, like 20 cats, you know, and there's litter boxes and feces and stuff. That smell, yeah, like that gets in my eyes. Even if I wear my mask, I get like allergies, you know, because there's so much hair and stuff. And the smell, the smell of like spoiled meat, that's worse too, like really spoiled. Um, but of course, the bio doesn't smell great. But those stuff stick, especially the cat stuff. <laughs> I don't know why. And talk to us about the different smells, which are so unique, because a decomposing body has a very different smell than a decomposing rat and a decomposing cat and decomposing meat or, you know, spoiled meat, et cetera. And when you arrive on these scenes, the bodies are gone. Right. It's the bio material that you are responsible for, obviously. So can you still smell these lingering, you know, the hoarding you talked about, whatever. So now do you, do you know what a decomposing body smells like? Do you, does it ever nauseate you? Talk to me about the physical reaction. We have our masks. I mean, so Really, I mean, my, I have a pretty big beard, so if any, if there is any smell, it's probably because of my beard. You know, the masks work great. Um, if if anything, it's probably because I, I I have to trim my beard a little. But I don't particularly smell much stuff. Most times, I do smell like our ozonator, which is a gas. Maybe that permeates differently. Um, we're not always in the the area when we run that machine, but we always do run it on biohazard jobs. That I do smell. Um, but no, that when we do smell it, it's like, damn, that stinks, bro. Yeah, that, and that's like basically more like, you know, a month or two months yeah. when like, you know, on a tent for. We're used to it, I yeah. guess, but you don't think about it. It's like, a, it's like you get a whiff and it's like, I guess I'm breathing through my mouth, you know, <laughs> and then you forget what? about it. Then you're there for four hours. Yeah, and, like you know, like basically with the smell, if I get a smell, I already know why I have to get to take care of that smell. Yeah. So, you know, so, but the smell doesn't get to me, you know, I have a strong stomach and once I put my mask on. There's nothing coming in. Yeah. So you mentioned what made you anxious in the beginning. Um, yeah, it wasn't the tenor of the job. It was dealing with these heartbroken or horrified families. Yes. So can you speak to uh, that a little bit and share with us what that is like and how you handle that? Yeah. Um, well, I'll tell you what. I, I, I do a lot of talking. I mean, I talk on the tech talk and I, I'm, I'm comfortable speaking. You know, I, I am. Um, but. The hardest job, like part of the job, you know, we drive far. People are like, what's the hardest part of your job? And our answer is like, you know, driving or, you know, the hours. It's not like the typical answer people would think. Me, you know, as someone who like always talks to everyone, no matter what, like when you see like a mom who like lost their kid and it's like, I, I'm 23, you know, I just graduated school. I, I moved out of my, my you know, hometown far away from New York. So I don't see my parents and stuff anymore. So then it's like those jobs made me go like, damn, like, you know, I got to I got to call my mom, 
you know, and I call my mom, like, and I will. And then when you see like that pain, you know, it's like, those are the tough ones. And even, but, but it happens in all types, depending on the type of person you are. If I walk into a hoarder job, like a hoarding situation, I'm usually with the customer, the actual person hoarding. We're in their home. A lot of the times at first they're a little standoffish. I guess I make people comfortable, but they open up a lot to me. And like, they're like, yeah, this is just miserable. A lot of the time. And like, you know, they open up and I'm sitting there talking to these people. It's not, I don't, you don't have to, but I'd like to, you know, make people feel comfortable. And it's just like, you know, when you see people in pain, it's like, you can be a good talker and stuff, but it sucks. You know, it, it's not, it's not this nice to see that. Yeah, of course. So. You've mentioned uh, hoarding now a little bit. Can you break down for us the percentage, roughly, of crime jobs that are jobs that you go on? How much are hoarding? How much are accidental deaths? How much are, you know, et cetera, et cetera, unattended? Most are biohazard because a lot of hoardings, people are in the process of continuing the hoarding until they, you know, say it's enough. You know, so like maybe in a couple months we'll get a hoarding because right now, they're continuing that hoarding process that will clean, if that makes sense. Biohazards, people pass away every day. So, of course, you know, we get more bio jobs. Um, we do a lot of unattended deaths. You know, those are definitely like the most, which I guess are suicides that go unattended. Um, but there are a fair amount of homicides. I mean, we do those as well. Um, hoardings, like I said, they are not as frequent, but we're there longer, you know. We work one of the right. jobs, but we, it takes us four days. That Coors Light job that I'm, I'm sure you've seen took six days, you know, so that's different. These biohazard jobs, a lot of times they take one, two, maybe, you know, but unless it's a lot of damage, but we definitely do get more bio jobs like suicides, homicides, those types. Tell me the Coors Light story. Okay. I mean, we have it on our TikTok. It was like the first one that kind of started getting a lot of articles, you know, from different news outlets and stuff. We were like, this is crazy. We basically just got told, hey, you know, there's a a hoarding job over in Florida, you know, get there tomorrow, nine o'clock. It's a hoarding of, you know, beer and alcohol and like, you know, empty cans stuff. We were like, oh, you know, we see that all the time. We we, we thought it was in like kind of like a condo area. Which it was, but it, it wasn't. It was like in a community. A community. So we're thinking a condo. We're thinking it can't be that big, you know. So we pull up to the job. And where the street was, it was the back of the house. So we had to start from the garage. I spoke with the actual customer. You know, he, he wasn't there. Or I don't know who it was, but they weren't there. Um, and he's like, you know, start in the garage. So we open the garage door. A lot of beer cans, a lot of garbage. The car, the, even the car was packed out with empty the beer. Car was bad. And I'm sitting there like, well, I guess that means you know something. You know what I mean? Like the whole car is stuff in there. And the problem was we learned very quickly that a lot of them were refilled. Now, we, we had thought, we first thought, we're like, oh, maybe he just, or they didn't just drink, you know, certain ones. But that wasn't the case. They were all empty. We soon found out it, a lot of them were refilled with urine. And we were like, now these are, these are Coors Light, like the 20 milliliter ones that have the screw on top. The 69. Yeah. Yeah. If you see it, you'll, you'll know right away. It's the ones with tops. The only ones that can be refilled and not, you know, spill until we were there, of course. <laughs> so we, we did the, we did that. We were like, oh, this is, this is crazy. You know, maybe like, hopefully like it's not like that all over, you know, the filled ones at least. So we did the garage, took us about an hour, go back, change our suits, drink water. We didn't even see the house at this point. We opened up the door and then there was like a 10 foot outside little patio 
and then there was a big door. And then we saw how big the house was. And we were like, oh boy, like <laughs> this, is, this isn't an apartment. You know, this is actually like a decent sized condo home. Right. The minute we opened the double doors, like, and I'm, I'm like six, three, six, four. There was like up to my like waist throughout the whole home, but deeper, like higher when it was deeper, all cores light, empty cans, crushed cans, cockroaches running out. Like how many? Thousands. I mean, yeah, over a couple of hundred thousand of cockroaches. Seriously. Like it was a lot. There was thousands of cans. It was like almost like these big. Yeah. <laughs> And we, and then we stepped back, we were like, well, you know, we're in suits and stuff, but we stepped back. We're like, whoa, like these roaches are running outside at us. And the only way into the house, right, is for, he, he has a shovel. I have a bag and we're shoveling our way into the home because we can't even get in. Like I couldn't even take pictures of like the house because from where we were, we, we had to shovel our way into the home. So I made four videos on TikTok. The first one was, you know, showing that opening scene of opening the door and it caught people like crazy. And it was just updates throughout the whole process, filling up three dumpsters. Um, but the problem was, like I said, you know, in the beginning, they were all empty. Yeah. We got to the bathroom area and like, say the bathrooms here, the whole hallway into the kitchen was refilled. Like all of them from the bath, from like the toilet to like deep into the like kitchen area. And we're like, oh my gosh, now there was two bathrooms in the house. It was like three, three bedrooms. There was an upstairs, you know, it was a big home, you know, a pretty big home. And it took us five days, six days almost. And, uh, yeah, it was definitely the craziest hoarding job. Well, one of the craziest hoarding jobs we've ever seen. And it was just, you know, the amount of bugs and beer cans. I, I it was all Coors light too. Like we saw one Miller light. We kept it as like a trophy on the side. I'm serious. <laughs> I'm serious. <laughs> we did. Just logistics wise, was there a path then from the front door to the bed and no, I don't know. or the kitchen? We didn't have an entranceway from the front, so I don't know. There was, there was it was no just no path in the whole house. Basically, everything was like stacked up. I guess about four or five feet high of bear cans. Yeah. You got to see the video. It, I'm telling you guys. Yeah. You're going to be like, it was what? really, yeah, it was really 100%. It reminds me, uh, Stephen King wrote a short story uh, many decades ago about this guy that essentially like all he does is drink beer in his couch at night on his in his armchair. And essentially it starts killing him because it's sort of like a moldy thing. And he starts turning into this moldy, disgusting, decrepit substance. Yeah. And that's what kept going through my head the whole time was like, as, I mean, that's it. Not to shame that. Human, no, but, but, but the short story I was reminded point, though, of to that point, which I, I, I understand you don't mean it in any way. But to that point, this person lived in a relatively nice area this was like uh this wasn't a, a bad area in any means you know, any type of aspect it was probably a relatively expensive not too expensive but it was a yeah, price place a beautiful house beautiful it was right next to a lake yeah, and this was... person had to have a job they had yeah. a job they had a car they had a somewhat of a life i don't know about a social life or like relationships, right. but they made money because they they lived there you know and unless in some crazy scenario where they had it for free or inherited it, which how, you know, they had a life and it's like, I don't know the neighbors. And a lot of the times, a lot of the times the neighbors are just like, what's going on? And I'm like, yeah, what's going on? What are you talking about? This has been like the past 10 years going on. You know what I mean? Like, and people don't know. And, and, and it really is a test. It's a great perspective, the job. I mean, it ta it's taught me so much. It shows like it could be your neighbor. It could be your family. Mm -hmm. Anything. It could be the anything. bio or the hoarding. 
More of the Fox True Crime podcast coming up. Many questions. Next question is, you mentioned money. So uh, how much, if you can share, would it cost for a hoarding job or is it by the day? How much are bio jobs or what's the range? Yeah, we don't we don't handle money. Again, we're just like the workers. Um, we, do, we work for a company. But I mean, what I know is like, let's say you're going to pay for it. it. It is pay by day. You do have to pay for a dumpster, most likely, right? You know, the dumpster is not our company. So I don't, however much a dumpster is in whatever state it is, depending on how big it is, it's either a 15 yard, 20 yard, 30 yard, 40 yard. Those are kind of close yeah. to a thousand, probably the, the big ones. But that course light job, we went through four or five dumpsters. So before you're even talking about us, a couple good amount of money in just the dumpster, then, you know, six days of work and however our company handles it, you know, I don't know. There's now urine involved. It's not just hoarding. If there was blood or if there's feces, which there was also feces involved, I don't know. If there's food, sometimes we have to empty out food, which we did as well. I don't know. Maybe there's separate charges, but it's definitely, it definitely costs, you know, I don't know how much it costs to be in that position though. You know what I mean? I don't know how mm-hmm. much it costs for that because I my brain tells me their life. You know, like it, it, how much money is just thrown away in that house. That's all I saw. So at least, thank God, this person, you know, got help. And, you know, we were happy to help. Yep. So. And going back to now in general, uh, the biomaterial, it's biohazardous. Yep. So after you have exited the scene and you have presumably it goes into your van or your truck or whatever, and you have these vestibules that are that are carrying human waste or fluids or what, now where do you go and how do you dispose right. of it? Right. Well, we, we're, it depends on, of course, the state. Each state has their own rules with that. Um, but we, we are just the cleaners, you know, so we come, we have like, you know, a whole system, the, the garbage that we take goes to a landfill, not like the bio stuff, but anything non-infected, um, we all, we put in red bags, of course, boxed it up, tape it up. So we have like a system with the bio and let's say it's a mattress. If the whole mattress isn't soaked, we cut out the mattress. We put all that in the bags. We put everything infected in red bags and then we take the rest of the garbage. That's what comes with us. A lot of the times, you know, the, the red, the bio stuff smells really bad, has bugs. Um, in most cases, we have, you know, like our company has like a chief safety officer. They have someone that comes by with the actual truck and picks it up, um, depending on where we are, of course. So we do have a little bit of a process. You know, it does kind of go. It, it's a little hard, but most of the time, you know, we just have to make sure that they come and pick it up or we bring it back with us and then they come pick it up from us. So. And as we mentioned earlier, uh, this is after the body itself has been taken away. But oftentimes, there's significant remnants. So I did see, you know, you had a crime scene photo where it literally looked like the face was still there. Yeah. Um, can you share about that particular one? Because I, um, I was, I would like to learn more about how it was transposed. And yeah, why. I think I know which one you're talking about. It was in the living room by the couch. That one. Yes. Right. So, well, first, you know. Just to clarify, you know, even though the human body does get removed, they don't remove animals. People don't, you know, the police and stuff, that's not their responsibility. So we have multiple times came across, you know, decomposed animal body, you know, bones and stuff. Um, So that's not the police response. That's the family, actually, Uh, most times, most times, or us, most times. But most, (laughs) thankfully, most times the animal gets out. Um, So, you know, that's really not 
the the tough part. That's because you know the body was there for over like you know a month yeah. or longer. So decomposing for a while. You know, and inside the room is like all heated, no air coming out from the house. You know, yeah. so the the body is just sitting there. So it went right through the floor, the concrete. Yep. So it seeped through there. It stained the concrete totally. Yeah. Yeah. The three of us are sitting around a campfire. We each have a drink of choice. I say, tell me the craziest crime scene that you had to clean up. What do you guys say? You want to go first? Yeah, the crazy one I, I did, it was a job I did up in New York. It was, uh, there was this, these four tried to trail every, uh, my company got called. This is a bit of a different one from what we were explaining. Though, yeah, this one is, this, uh, but yeah. So my company got called in for do a job for sanitized four tractor trailers. So I was there with my supervisor, you know, and I didn't know what I was walking into for COVID. For this was COVID time. Okay. Okay. And um, now we got there. I saw the four tractor trailers. They're on. They was running. And in my mind, I'm thinking at the same time, why are they running? Because normally, you know, we're there for sanitized. So I'm thinking I'm sanitizing a empty truck. So now I told my supervisor. Walk up in the front, and you know we was uh, walking with a guy that was taking us to show us where the tractor trailer was. So I told him to walk in the front, and when he opened the door, the trailer doors, I saw him stuck there and just watching. And he was like, he called me, he said, "Come." And when I was watching, I saw these white bags, like a whole bunch of white bags, and I wanted to know what is these white bags. And right there at that moment, my mind click all oh, these are bodies so, oh, yeah it was yeah. like all four tried to chill was like stacked up with bodies like a lot of bodies because the hospital then had like places to put the bodies them so they had to keep them in like i guess in track to chill the freezer one so now we finished sanitize that and we had an next group over there doing that then we went into around the bodies you mean you you were sanitizing around yeah. like they were still stacked in this refrigerated truck and you just sanitized yeah, basically, around like them and we had like a chemical for that sanitized dog uh, kills the COVID. So now I have this bag and I'm up in the air like fogging, but I can't look at it because I was afraid at that moment, you know, it, it got to me. So in my mind, I'm saying, I'm almost done with this. I'm almost done with this. Yes. So I was just praying. So then me and my supervisor now went into the morgue. We had to sanitize in there too. So the morgue was packed up to be sanitized in there. So in the hallway, we just standing there sanitizing, wiping down. And every couple of seconds, it's like a stretcher comes out. And, you know, and I'm thinking, what is this? Again, like, you know, at that moment, my mind is, it wasn't there. It's like I was all lost. I wanted to know what's going on. Like, yeah. But, you know, I was there to do a job and I wanted to get my job done. And, you know, I don't want to look like a scared guy and everybody make jokes. But, you know, I was like, I'm getting this done. And it's only for a couple of hours. So. Every couple of seconds, I'm seeing like, you know, stretcher coming out with bodies bag. At one point, the whole hallway was packed out. This was early COVID, you know, when everything was really getting Without me not knowing, I was like, dang. So I walk outside and I told my supervisor, this was a crazy one. Yeah. That was it. Yeah. I wasn't there. The only thing is like sometimes like, you know. With accident, car accidents and stuff on the road, any accident, and it's, you know, like when someone got injured really bad, and I see like a body bags or where some like you know, ambulance taking someone, it just triggered me to that moment. So, but I try not to think about it, but it doesn't affect me. You know, at the end of the day, I try 
to keep my mind straight. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Don't think about anything. Yeah, he has to. You know, with time, mm-hmm. the TikTok and stuff. Yeah, you know, at that moment you don't think about it because then we communicate, we talk with people. You know, people talk with us, and it's fun. Right. Yeah. And Tom, what about you? Um, well, I wasn't, I wasn't there in that situation. Uh, you know, he, I've heard the story many times now. That's definitely, a, you know, a crazy one. Um, one for me, I mean, I do remember it was, uh, forgot exactly what mid mid Eastern state it was that we were in, but it was a, uh, it was a state with, you know, I guess easy access to weapons and guns, I guess you could say. And, uh, the story was, you know, basically it was three three brothers. Um, they were all war veterans I'm assuming they had some type of mental, you know, maybe PTSD, something. Long story short, the, the customer we dealt with, because we actually did the job together. Yeah, it was me and Tom did that. The customer we dealt with was, um, the, I guess, the middle brother. Um, and then in the home was the younger brother and, and I think the, the pet mom, or maybe just at the time the younger brother. Uh, and something happened with the oldest brother and the younger brother, where they got some conflict, whatever. The older brother always helped the younger one as so I was told and something led to the older brother coming to the house and the younger brother just snapped and he like, he barricaded himself in the house, like kind of having like a flashback almost because when we went in, you know, we we're looking and it's like, he made a little bunker with all these like things. And like, you know, he was barricaded in certain spots and it was kind of strange. And the bro- the older brother came to the house and, and he had a key, he opened up the door and the younger brother just, let loose and uh it was it was a machine gun it was definitely you know it was crazy because there was bullets you know everywhere and then supposedly i i I don't remember the full story i don't know what happened with the police or not i think the the younger one had then went downstairs and he killed himself and it was two you know two jobs in one and, uh, you know, it was just a crazy thing because, you know, I'm, I'm, again, like we had spoken about with the family, you know, I, I now am speaking with a man who is, this is, you know, he's dealing with something in his life like that. And he's explaining it to me and I'm just looking at him like, oh, I'm so sorry. Like, I want to give you a hug. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. I don't know what to say. I know what to do, you know, for my job. Mm-hmm. But it's like, I look at someone, it's like, there's only so much you can say. You know, I, I'm not a psychologist, but it seems to me in those moments what is the most reassuring is that you do know what to do. Yes. It's not about what you say. It's about what you do. You know, these people who are going through so much, just in that moment, you come in, you clean it up, you're, you're a position of authority in that way and your skill set, and that represents some type, I am positive, of reassurance. Um, all right, next question is, if different from the stories you just shared, those were the craziest scenes, what was your hardest days? Well, to, to that last point real quick, I will answer that. I, I don't want to say I don't know what to say. Uh, I, right. You are clearly awesome with words. I just meant you <laughs> saying, like, I don't know what to say, but I know what to do. There is nothing to say. Yeah. I can, I can say everything and make people comfortable and make people even say, oh, yes, thank you so much. Or doesn't matter. Yeah. doesn't change what happened. Our work, though, changes what happened because it's over. But we help move forward. That's the way I see it. You, you, no one's going to do that for themselves. So we come, we make sure it's gone so that no matter what, you know, it is reality, but the family can move forward and they don't have to be reminded by it or do it. Right. And let me be specific. And actually funny that you say that because, for example, um, in the Capitol building, I want to say 
Yes, in the Capitol building, there is a blood stain on the steps from an attempted assassination in the like 1800s. So uh, yes, there are even, you know, it, it, and I've done historical walks where there are, you know, bullet holes from many, many decades ago. But the point is that, yes, unless good, you know, Samaritans and, and good people like you remove it, then yes, it stays sometimes it forever. It um, but it doesn't have to stay in your sight forever. Right. Yeah. And by hardest, I meant most challenging scene to clean up. What do you think the hardest job we've done? Well, uh, the hardest one I ever done, it was the story that I told you. That was like basically like uh, the I toughest yeah. one I ever done. Damage. Uh, yeah, the da- like the like then the se- the second uh, most challenging. Yeah, we we put- scene that you were faced with. Yeah, it was- yeah, when we had to remove the whole bathroom, like ripped out the bathtub yeah. wall beams, everything, flooring, toilet, toilet, everything. I pretty much demoed a whole bathroom. Was it because of blood or because of... But I told you before, like the house built on like a slant a little bit. And I was giving you that reference of the bathroom where it kind of went. That's exactly the job we're talking about. Someone passed away in the middle of the bathroom or wherever and blood went down. Like if this is the door here, it went down towards the wall. And, and, And it was in all four corners of the bathroom. So we had to remove... The sink, the cabinets, the toilet, the bathtub, two feet of the sheetrock throughout the whole thing. I mean, the the first layer of floor. Yeah, but thank God it was on concrete. Yeah, <laughs> remove. Yes, because yeah. it was a lot of uh, body fluid, yeah. a lot of blood. It was like at least about this much, like an inch. Yeah, two, three inches. Yes, and and again. The beams of homes, even though the foundation was concrete, the beams are still wood. So once we removed the first layer and the sheetrock, we were like, oh, no, these beams are infected, too. So, like, on the bottom, we had to take some out and remove them because it was underneath the concrete and the wood beam holding the wall. So we're like, wow, it's, you know, it was everywhere. So we yeah. and we painted the whole floor, too, at the end. It was a nice white floor all painted after we cleaned it. And it, it that was definitely the most, like one of the crazier damage jobs for sure. Yeah, for sure. Anything that happens in a kitchen too, because mm. imagine it happens in the middle of the kitchen and then it's underneath the stove. It's underneath the, the dishwasher, things like that. It's yeah. Like, I think oh, the two toughest one is a uh, kitchen and bathroom yeah. because then it's more like compact. You got a lot more stuff around it. So you yeah. got to move stuff and make sure it's not under there or if it didn't go there. So, you know, when it comes to that case, you know, that's why I was telling you, we follow it wherever it is. So yeah, mm-hmm. we, I got to make sure, you know, I got to make sure Tom makes sure that he doesn't see any, run any different corner. Yeah. Know? Even if it's not, we move, we have to move the stove, yeah. move the things, check, because you'd be shot. And plus, if I'm removing like wood and stuff, I remove like three feet extra so I can make sure it's not over there. Nice. Yeah. Like, nice. And Tom, yes, the safe side. Yeah, the tiles too. We remove extra of it. Your description of the bathroom one with that, you know, inch of blood, I'm reminded of um, a horrific story that a canine handler told me when he thankfully, um, his canine had been shot multiple times and thankfully survived. But in the transport, the so much blood was coming out of his canine in the in the cage in the back, you know, as he was transporting him, that it was sloshing. And he could hear the blood sloshing back and forth as he was transporting um, his partner to the, the ER. Yeah. And I think about in that moment that your experience is a full sensory experience. So oh, yeah. you're smelling through the through your beard and you're hearing I'm picturing the sloshing and this this slapping of steps in liquid and the splat you know well, describe we, for us We do hear it. We, we, it yes. Obviously yeah. stay off of it but we have yeah. on so like sometimes like we'll have like rags or something but I mean we're using a, sometimes a shovel or a vacuum it's like 
if you take a little step to take a picture, you, you hear that's slosh. You know what I mean? It was it, in that situation. It was there. Um, again, I don't know why something had to have been with the house, the construction of the house. It was, it was strength for it to have built up, you know, like that. It was strange. It was a lot though. You know, it was a lot. And it was just like, maybe it's the room. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Um, second to last question as a criminal justice degree holder, what about this? You know, this seems, I, I'm, I would imagine one day of this was more educating than the entire four years of academia. So what have you learned here? that has dispelled something that you thought you knew before? Well, my thing is with criminal justice is, you know, my dad, my dad was a cop in New York. Uh, Grandpa was a cop. Like, you know, my dad was there during 9-11 and stuff. So like, you Mm. know, stuff. I took all those tests because, you know, in New York, they pay great, you know, and then on Long Island where I'm from, like, you know, Suffolk County and that, those are the, you know, those are great jobs. Personally, you know, I, I do, I do have my degree. I did go to school. I, uh, I didn't really take school seriously. I did have really good grades, but I didn't take it as seriously as I probably should have. Like, I, I see my sister who's in nursing school now. Like, I'm, she makes me so proud because it's like she's really smart. You know, she studies and like she does the right stuff. And I just wanted to get out of school. You know, I just wanted to work and make money, but I didn't take it seriously. You know, I was just good at tests and memorizing stuff. But when I go on job sites, you learn stuff. It's not like you're sitting in a classroom and reading and you know, my attention span wasn't always there. I like to talk and move around and stuff. So, you know, me in the classroom wasn't always the best. And I just, I don't get bored, you know, when I'm out and I'm traveling and like, you know, I see these things and, you know, college teaches you a lot. It really does. But I think really, depending on the type of man you are, or I guess person you are, like someone like me, I don't, I'm not afraid to do stuff. I can go into something like this. I wasn't necessarily looking into this job and I didn't even know about this job until I found it on Indeed. I didn't know about it during school. I was it wasn't a thought, you know, you don't even, you don't, for our company, you don't need a college degree. So, you know, most people are like, oh, you don't even use your degree. Well, I do because while Googling and while looking for jobs of my degree, I found this. You know, so <laughs> if I never went to school. I might have never found this. I just think, you know, the perspective that I've learned from this job is, way, way more valuable than the degree I have. The degree is like something where I could say, hey, I have a college degree and people are like, oh, maybe I should actually listen to what he has to say. That's kind of how I see it. When people are like, I have a degree, I have a degree. My sister, on the other hand, she needs it. And she's going to be in <laughs> So she's got it. For me, I like to do the work. I like to learn the, the world. And I have a degree to back it up. Yeah. And Junior, what about you in terms of, you know, how – you guys have just keep talking about how much you you've learned and seen, and not only I think about humanity and perspective to your point, but also um, the skill set. I mean, this is an incredibly nuanced, uh, very chemical and biology based vocation, and it's also very necessary. You are busy all the time, so um, is there something about that that you want to share, Junior? Um, well, basically, I with me with schooling and stuff like that. Yeah, I don't have any kind of degree, but. You know, I got skills. That's why when I was yeah. high school, I went to a high school over in America here, and I got expelled because some kid wanted to fight with me. Mm. The teacher just didn't like me. You know? mm. So she, I got expelled from school, and ever since then, I, you know, I told myself I'm going to learn a trade because then mm-hmm. it didn't take me farther. And I started learning more more than one trade. I started learning how to do auto body mechanic, flooring, roofing construction, painting, all those things. And now, you know, I look at it, I could go do a lot more of that stuff. Because he actually learned it. 
and learn about all these stuff where you have to go to school and pay for learning them. I got all the skills. I know, you know, I know everything. Even though that I didn't get to finish school, I still take a better path and go and learn yeah. something. Final question is what cleaning tips do you have? Because everyone has to clean up blood in the homes and stuff like that. What, what don't we know? What's your magic solution? What's your tip? If it's on a carpet and it's blood, I hate to break it to you. A steam cleaner might not do it for you, yep. even though you may yeah. think it might not. Yes, well, once it go, once blood goes down through carpet, it doesn't come out at all because once you put a liquid on it, you just spritz it. Remember, it's just fabric, so it's like I wet my shirt with water; it's just gonna start spreading. Same thing with carpet; you put like any kind of fluid or liquid on it, it starts spread through the whole fabric stuff. Yes. So, what about good old fashioned bleach? You know, bleach in the kitchen. Bleach is perfect in the kitchen. If it's tile. Yeah. yeah if like it's tile, tile stuff. stuff, bleach 100% kill anything. Bathroom. Any germs, anything else. Bring it out. Yeah. yeah. Um, I mean, if you're cleaning, like, really, I mean, if it, if the blood is that heavy, you're probably not cleaning it. If it's a little cutter, <laughs> if it, like, like, let's say it's a, on your carpet, yeah, you could probably steam clean it. If it's anything more substantial, we're there, probably. <laughs> but if, if we're not, we'll be needed, unless, you know, we're doing demo here, but... Cleaning tip, I'll tell you one good thing. If you're in the South, um, if you see cockroaches and they're really small, it's over. There's a lot. There's a lot. The big ones, I don't know what the difference is really, and I'm not 100% sure, but when you see little babies, that means there's families. They're like different, you know? Well, they have different types of roaches, I guess. Yeah. There's like uh, the small one, they're more dangerous they'll destroy your whole house yeah but the big one they just come around like you know if you leave food outside and stuff like yeah. that you see them more is that's up in new york different states i never see bigger one i see yeah. like small one yeah. but in florida you see them if you Every see them you got them get an exterminator you know, don't waste your time with the bombs from home depot a lot of people just spray and stuff if you see five there's five thousand that's just that's how they are they're it's really bad i mean really bad that's the south you know but just stay clean Yep. Stay clean. <laughs> uh, and you guys, what's your handle? What's your Instagram and TikTok handles? All right. So TikTok and Instagram, the soul mediators. Um, mm. We came up with that on, you know, on the spot. I was just like, <laughs> we wanted something with like the soul, but we didn't know which angle to go. We didn't want to be like too crazy with it. Or we didn't, we kind of tried to come up with a nice name. And I just went on Google. I forgot the exact word, but I typed it in and I was like, let's look up synonyms for this. <laughs> mediators and i <laughs> like that sounds good he's like what does it mean I'm like we'll find out <laughs> and the rest as they say is history you guys <laughs> thank you so much this is the best episode ever i'm so grateful to you uh for your time thank today you. and you're so informative you're so educational um and you perform such an amazing service for countless thank people in their time of need so really thank you guys so much i wish you all the best uh, here for anything you need, any amplification or anything. We're here for you. Well, thank you for having us. Uh, you know where to find us. And God bless. <laughs> thank you so much. God bless. Please rate and review this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen. Listen ad-free with a Fox News Podcast Plus subscription on Apple Podcasts, and Amazon Prime members can listen to this show ad-free on the Amazon Music app.